Well, thank you. Thank you. It's great to look out and see so many familiar faces. Um, I teach a class now at CBC. That was not my plan when I came here. That sort of happened. And uh, I have been so impressed with the students of Karis Bible College uh, from the beginning. Um, when I began to meet them and learn their stories, uh, my imagination began to run wild about uh, what we could say and what we could show people about this ministry that we haven't yet done. Um, in, um, my, my, my challenge here today is to follow all these wonderful sessions that you've had. Um, and, and I really appreciate the introduction, Andrew. Uh, by the way, you know, I thought that I would be a minister. I, th I thought I would stand behind this sacred desk. <laughs> you laughed. For those uh, watching at home, I, I really like being in a place where people will laugh that way because we know this desk isn't sacred. We could make firewood out of it tomorrow and warm our hands. Uh, it's, the, it's the place in here that's sacred, where he dwells. And that's in each one of you, and uh, you have a wonderful story to tell. And uh, I just wanted to thank you again, Andrew, because... At home, they tell me this morning, watching on the live stream, the Reverend Jack Bransford and his wife, his lovely wife, Betty, is watching. They got up early this morning in Oregon. He's 90, almost 90 years old. And they wanted to see their son behind this desk. Yes! I made it. It's been a long road. You don't know those poor people. I went to Bible college, Bethany Bible College, you know, and, and I did my best. But after three years, it became obvious that I wasn't destined for this part of the ministry. And I began to follow my passion for storytelling. I am, first of all, a storyteller. And second of all, I'm a writer. There are better writers than me. And, and I had to learn to write, but I could always tell a story. And so when those two things got together, uh, my life changed dramatically. And I found out that it was a calling. And I pursued that calling, and I've been very gratified and blessed in, in my life and my, my career. Now, as uh, my challenge here this morning is to cause you to be excited about what I'm excited about. And that's not easy after the wonderful teaching that you received. I'm not, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a teacher, nor am I a pastor like Jack Bransford. By the way, I've got to say one more thing about Dad. They don't make preachers like him anymore. They, they really don't. I'll tell you what kind of preacher he is. <clears throat> when we were growing up, there were six of us in the, in the pastor's home. We were a rather competitive bunch. My older brother and I, he was the oldest, I was next. We were always fighting for territory one way or another. And we used to have to sit in the front because we were the preacher's kids. You know, with our hair all slicked up with brill cream, you know. <laughs> we had to smell good on Sunday morning. And we would sit there and... Inevitably, sooner or later, a territorial battle would break out. Now, you have to learn how to fight on the front pew of a church. 
You know, your elbows have to be not, you know, they have to be subtle, you know, like this. But one day it became not so subtle. My dad is in the middle of one of his great sermons. He looks down and he sees my brother and I carrying on in a battle. He stopped. He left the podium. He came down there. He yanked us up and gave us a hiding in front of the whole congregation. Set us back down and said, now let's not have any more of that. He came back up here to the sacred desk and picked right up where he left off. Like nothing, It was just an everyday job for him. They don't make preachers like him anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's my dad. And I'm glad to be able to, to bring a little joy to them this morning in Oregon, where they're retired now. Well, all right. So what does that have to do with us this morning? Um, when I went to Bible college and, and took this path of being a storyteller... Um, I, I had to try to find out what is it that I, I'm doing that, that really is serving the Lord. And I searched the scriptures. And, you know, I, I'm trying to get you excited about something, but I'm, I'm sorry to say there's only one word in scripture about me and what I do. And I found it, and it's in a list of words uh, found in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. For those who would like to follow along, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. What's the smallest word in that list? Oh, you got it. I'm there, okay? Now I want to get you excited about helps, the ministry of helps, all right? And what Andrew said about me is true. Uh, My name is not on a lot of things that I do, but I am very aware that my work goes around the world and it's affecting lives today as we sit here in just about every nation of the world in one way or another. The things that I have done and the things that I have done have I have done as a helper to a minister, a pastor, a prophet, uh, I suppose an apostle somewhere along the line, although I haven't got that one figured out. But there is no doubt that God has put me in service with a teacher A teacher like none I've ever been with in my life. There's only one Andrew Womack. I have been privileged to work with some people you might know. You might know Billy Graham. Great great honor to work with him, telling stories. I told stories for that ministry for 15 years. What a privilege. Did you ever see those stories called Where Are They Now? The video productions, I did those. You know, what an honor to go out and find somebody who came forward in a Billy Graham crusade in 1956, and where are they today? And to tell their story. Well, that was great. And I've also been privileged to work with some other ministers, or Roberts, you might know. I once went to Hollywood and produced a series of commercials for Oral Roberts that sold 440,000 books on primetime specials. That is a bestseller, folks. I had a good time. But you know, the Lord brought me to a place in my career before coming here where he began to, he began to speak to me. And he said, look, I'm taking you to a new place and a new level. 
And it's no longer about being successful. It's about being fruitful. And here is the most fruitful place that I have ever been. And I will tell you, the last 10 years of my life, it's 11 now, going on 12, uh, have been the most fruitful years of my life. And there's a story there that I'm not going to tell today. But it is a good story. Um, And uh, in the process of of being with Andrew over the years, I came in contact with Karis Bible College as it grew, and the students needed some help. Students would come to me with a letter now and then and say, would you help me raise my funds? And I would help them with their letter. And some very dramatic things happened. They would ask me if I would help them with their video. They wanted to raise funds for a missions trip. I would work on a video with some of the students, and those things began to make a big difference in how much money they were able to raise. Where did I learn to do that? I learned it by accident. I didn't go to school for that. I learned it when I joined my first ministry. Now, the first ministry that I joined happened to be a large Christian television network that was just getting started in the 70s, in the late 70s. And as I came into this ministry, I was a writer. They hired me to write anything and everything, brochures, newsletters. I learned what a fundraising letter was very shortly, and I began to do those. And then I began to... Uh, work in the television department, writing commercials and promotions for the television department, which led them asking me to direct the commercials that I wrote, which then turned into my producing the commercials that I directed and wrote, and a lot of good things happened. Well, along that course of events, um, they began, uh, I learned something. I learned that every six months, I don't know if they still do this, the Christian television network needed to have a telethon. Now, a telethon, in this particular case, was the host standing in the studio. There's a live audience like you here. And behind him here, there's a whole bank of telephones with people sitting there with telephone sets in front of them. And the host would begin to tell people, we need your help to raise money for this network. And here's our needs. And pretty soon he would say something and a phone would ring and another phone would ring. And pretty soon other phones were ringing. And that told him... What he said that got a response from the audience. And as I watched this process, I began to realize something. That the, the minister was beginning to do things and say things that would make the phones ring. And ministry began to take a bit of a back seat here. Not that it went away. It just got shuffled in the priorities. Now, here I teach a class in the second year. If you come to the school, be sure to take my class in the second year titled Ministry, Media, and Money. And I say those three words in that order because that's the order they belong in. Ministry first. Media is communicating the ministry between the minister and his audience. And money follows. It's the last thing on the list. But what began to happen in telethons was I noticed money became the first thing on the list, media the second, and ministry the last. Then once the funds were raised, they would go back to doing their regular programming. One day in my office, I received a letter uh, from a little Eskimo lady in Alaska. 
And uh, she told us her testimony, how she was suicidal. That's a problem in the, in the land of the midnight sun, a bigger problem than anywhere else. Uh, they have a higher rate of suicide there. And in the course of planning her suicide, saw our television program and was converted. And I thought it was a wonderful story to tell at the next telethon. And so I got permission in advance to fly up there with a camera crew and film her story. I went to her little primitive uh, Eskimo home, and she offered me salmon drying on the racks in the sun. And the piece that I put in my mouth got to here, and then it came out with a vengeance. I don't know what they put on that stuff. But I tried. I tried. Bless her heart. She was, she was so sweet. We told her story. She couldn't tell it very well, but I was the storyteller. And I could take her story elements and put them together. Well, I came back to the telethon with this story. And my job now became very invisible. This was, every day we were on the air live. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying live? It was what you see is what you get TV. Those phones were live. The audience was live. The host was live two hours a day. And when the phones rang, we knew stuff was happening. All right. So, on this particular day of the telethon, it was time to play this story. And I had been working in a back room by myself at a word processor and at an edit machine. And I did some of the narration myself because they didn't know much about it in those days to, to stitch the pieces of this story together. And when it all came together... It was ready to be played during the telethon, and no one had seen it. And as the telethon was in its glory, carrying on with all kinds of music groups coming and going, and all the excitement of a live television production, suddenly it was time to see this testimony from someone who had received the Lord in Alaska, and it played. I stood in the, in the studio that day, and the place was quiet. Suddenly... They were watching the screens, and they were watching this story, and the place was totally silent. Not even the phones were ringing. At the end of the story, it was a powerful ending. And as it came back to the studio, uh, the host stood there speechless. He couldn't say anything. Sorry about my emotions, folks. But what happened that day is we got the order right. Ministry, media, and those phones started ringing off the wall. And they didn't stop. Now, as a young man, I realized I had struck some sort of mother load here. And I took off chasing that thing. Storytelling is my gift. Now here I teach that in my class, ministry, media, and money. And I try to teach the priorities that keep it straight. Do you know that if ministry is your focus, as it is with Andrew, that when a media person comes beside him with the ministry of helps and tells the story of what that ministry is doing, the people respond in all kinds of ways. All right. Well, after a few years of seeing Andrew's ministry and the impact it was having on people, the opportunity came to tell a story, the story of Nikki in the first year 
And whenever we played Nikki's story, so many people responded that had never responded before. It led to eventually a vision that I, I talked to Andrew about of doing something called Healing Journeys. And it took four years, and I think this is an important part of the story because you heard Andrew teach on seed time and harvest, right? This was a seed planted, and it took time to mature this idea. But then it finally came to pass. In volume one, it was my honor to do the story of Hannah. I'll never forget that story. Never forget going uh, to, to England and sitting down with Ashley and Carly and their children and recording that story, bringing it back and putting it together in our offices back there and then finally seeing the response of people. If I've traveled with Andrew around the world. People are responding to Hannah's story everywhere we go. It's such, it's such a powerful blessing. And so I, I began to teach in my department, and my department grew from me in the beginning. It was just me for six months doing Andrew's program every day to now we have 20 people, and we have some very highly professional producers working with us who are also storytellers and very gifted. God has really blessed us now, and we're on another level. Many of you may have seen, but... Uh, We have Healing Journeys Volume 1, that was the original. Healing Journeys Volume 2 came out as well, and Volume 3. And and every volume gets better in many ways, technically and in the storytelling techniques. All right, what I want to do is show you one of those stories, because before I talk about the third year media school, in which we're going to teach this, this kind of thing to you, I'd like you to see an example of one of the stories from Andrew's ministry. And here it is. In the year 2000, I noticed that I had a pimple here, and I didn't think anything of it. You know, it was just it was just constantly a little itch here. Of course, at, at night, I'd come home, take my shirt off, and I'd have to investigate because you're just constantly aware of it. I think Mike had the sore for a while before I even really noticed it. It just was a little red bump, and it's just kind of like a skin blemish. Through that year, it started getting red, and then it got larger and larger, uh, like a small area about the size of my finger, and I noticed that it wouldn't heal over. I began to photograph it because I believed that God was going to heal me, and I wanted to document the dates. I prayed for it. I believed in healing, and it still didn't go away. The desert oasis of Tucson, Arizona, sits in a sheltered valley. Here, Mike and Caroline Hesch joined a non-denominational church, submitting themselves to a strong-willed pastor. In time, they became victims of religious ideas as malignant as the tumor that threatened to consume both of their lives. I was part of this ministry for like 20 years. They had taught healing, but it was all uh, performance-based doctrine. We were taught, like in John 9, that uh, 
God does not hear sinners, so if we were asking for prayer or asking the Lord to heal or do something in our life, if we were in sin of any kind, uh, He wouldn't be able to answer our prayer. Oh, you must be sinning. Um, oh, you're not doing God's will. Oh, you're in rebellion to the pastor. Oh, this, oh, that. Everything was a reason why I wasn't getting better. And he had talked to our pastor about it, and the pastor said, well, that's nothing that herbs can't heal. It's a nutritional problem. I seem to just be getting worse and worse and worse. When it wouldn't go away, my pastor said, why don't you go to the doctor, then we can uh, pray specifically for God to show us exactly what it is. So that's when Mike made an appointment with the dermatologist to have it checked out. And he comes in and he looks at it, and he didn't look at it for maybe five or ten seconds. He said, excuse me, I'd like to go get my colleague. Um, and then they did the doctor thing, you know, where they, mm-hmm, uh-huh, and they're, you know, with their little uh, thing probing around the edge. And they didn't say anything in front of me, but I could tell that it was kind of serious. He left the room and he said, the nurse will uh, direct you, you know, what to do. When I got to the counter, she handed me a piece of paper and she told me, you have an appointment, and it was like two weeks out. And... I can't remember if he was behind me, the doctor that saw me, or in the hallway passing through. He just stopped. And he said, no, that's not soon enough. You know, and I could sense the fear. So he said, I'll take care of this. And well, the appointment was two days out from the day I was there. And I thought, whoa, uh, to get a doctor, to a surgeon to see you in two days? I mean, you know, something's happening here. I looked at the sheet that the doctor fills out and he checked the diagnosis. He called me on the phone and after the appointment and he said that the doctor uh, said you need to have surgery right away to have that removed and wrote up a little note and this is what it was, a malignant neoplasm. And she said, well, I'll look it up and I'll call you back. So here I'm driving to work and she calls me back very seriously. She says, Mike, it means that you have malignant neoplasm cancer she said well it's not benign in other words it's something that's actively growing now I'm thinking wow I've got something pretty serious here a little bit of fear came in but because it wasn't huge I really felt like you know what I know Mike believes uh, in healing and that the Lord can take care of this once I talked to her I told the pastor I said what do you think I should do he said, you know, Mike, you can do whatever you want. Uh, but he said, I said, well, they want me to cut it off. He said, well, and he didn't tell me, you know, he didn't say you can't do it. He said, well, that's not God's way. Uh, we believed that um, if you went to the doctors for anything like that, to have it removed, you're sinning. And if you're sinning, then you can't trust the Lord for healing it. And he said, but the choice is yours, whatever you want to do. But he said... You know, he said, I would just counsel you not to do anything while you have that fear. Yeah. I called the, the doctor that they had made the appointment with, and I canceled it that day. And so it's just like, okay. You know, I was still believing, but still a little bit hesitant. Like, it's not that big. It wouldn't be any big deal to get it, you know, burned off or however they were going to chop it out and be done with it. The next day, I'm coming to work. It's like 8.30 in the morning, and my cell phone rings. I answer the phone. This, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I diagnosed you with this yesterday. They just told me you canceled your appointment. I said, that's correct. I did. And he said, 
you can't do that. That I said, well, I can do that. And he said, I want you to know, I'm writing here down in my records that you're warned of this is a very deadly thing that you're dealing with and that you've been warned by me. And then I was like really scared. Well, that following February, I guess it would be 2002, I got very sick with the flu. And when that happened, it was just like the tumor, it just started growing out as a tumor. I remembered what the guy said, that if you let it go, it could metastasize, which I think in layman's terms means it can just turn into something else or like mutate into some other form or go throughout the rest of my body or something. I'm watching and bandaging, and as he's starting to get weaker and weaker, and this tumor is getting bigger, I'm thinking, why doesn't he just get this thing cut off? But at the same time as I'm thinking that, and I would vocalize that to him at times, just like, you know, this is it, you know, this is just getting worse, you're getting, you know, sicker, just let's get this cut off. And I would always go back to, you know, I, I have to do what I feel is right in my heart, and I just don't have a peace from God about getting that cut off, you know, because the Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. I know that's not the solution. I don't have that peace in my heart. But as he would refuse, stubbornly refuse, and continue to stand on the word and God's promise of healing, um, I would try and agree with him and stand with him. And so for the next, like, five years, um, I went through this roller coaster at the church I would get over one hurdle and then the bar would go up a little higher and then here would be another thing that was uncovered that I wasn't doing right and that how could God hear me being a sinner. The whole time as it starts getting worse and worse, the tumor just it would stink. You would, we'd wrap it with uh, paper towels and we'd have them soaked, spray some herb tinctures to try and help cut down on the smell of it. And it would ooze and it would bleed and we're wrapping it in saran wrap and then that would fill up with the ooze and then we'd have to drain that off and change it out. And the tumor was just feeding off the blood in his body. His whole complexion was like gray. His heart rate for like months was in the 90s. Oh, it was just, it was horrendous. I just noticed I just start, started slowly losing energy, like somebody just letting the air out of me. So this tumor started getting so big and very heavy, we've got to find some kind of sling or whatever. So I end up going to the store and buying a couple bras. Cut out one side, and I would just wear that as like a harness to support, to support it over here. It just, it just wasn't a good thing, you know. This was something that we just had to live with, and eventually God would heal. But I'm watching Mike's life being sucked out of him. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that things in my body weren't working right on the inside. And, and then this thing I had that it was growing, it grew off what I, I call it a tentacle or like this arm I could see like growing out underneath my skin in there and spreading out. And it was nasty. It was just a, like a manifestation of, of the devil, which it really was. You know, the Bible says that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what he was doing. He was just sucking my life out 
He's de destroying, uh, you know, any productivity in my life. He was stealing away my happiness and my joy. I do have to say, though, that it was all by my consent because I didn't take a stand against him, you know. And at that point, Mike was so sick. It was just, it was very hard for me to leave him all day when I would be working. And I would call Mike and I could just tell when he'd answer the phone like he was just like, I don't know if I'm going to come home and find him alive. One scripture that really encouraged me was Proverbs 4, 20 through 22, where it says, My son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, but keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. I just decided, since I didn't have anything else to do during the day, that I was just going to, every moment that I had, I was going to get into God's Word. And I knew that I was, I was short on the life and I needed help to all my flesh. I was flipping through the channel, trying to find someone to listen to while I was getting ready for work. And... I came, went through the channels and there was the guy yelling and the guy doing this and I didn't want to listen to that and then I landed on this channel where this guy was sitting in a chair talking calmly and he said, Today I'm beginning a brand new series and I'm going to start talking about a teaching that I've entitled You've Already Got It. By that time I'd walked back into the bathroom and I was getting ready and I said, man, that's a stupid name for a study. And, but I didn't turn the channel. And I, I just kept listening to it. That God has already done for you everything that you need done. And by the end of that half hour, I was hooked. And so here she offered us some CDs. And it was like, okay, yeah. And my wife listened to them first. A whole new... Bible was opened up to me for seeing what uh, the Bible really was teaching and what I had believed and the things I was believing were not according to scripture. And begin to start looking at everything from a standpoint where it's already accomplished and you aren't trying to get God to do something but rather you're just appropriating what he has already provided. That mindset will totally revolutionize the way you receive from God. And then, uh, you know, passing it on to Mike saying, you got to listen to this. This is kind of a miracle for me as well. It shows you how far, the, how quickly the Lord can deliver you when you're willing just to follow what His Word says and what He says and His Spirit over some legalistic thinking. The average prophecy that you're going to get in most churches is all about God is going to do something great. There is coming a great move of God. We are going to see something happen. But you never hear people very much talk about what has already happened. And I believe that instead of getting this mindset of trying to obtain victory, it really makes a difference if you understand that through Jesus, we've already obtained victory. It's a done deal. Yeah, I do. I've already got it. I was blessed in two ways. One, I was, all these things I've been studying in the last, you know, especially in the last few weeks, but six months prior, I was getting, you know, I believe it was God who had her bring that to me because it was just like he was saying all these things in a little different way than the Word says them. But he was saying the same thing that the Word says. 
I remember getting this revelation about uh, James chapter 1, uh, where it says about being tossed to and fro uh, like the waves of the sea. And, and I thought, you know, that is so much me. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. It says, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And so I just said, you know what? I don't have to focus on two things. I can just focus on that. And when I did that, that's when I learned that I was able to receive from the Lord. That it wasn't Him withholding. I already had it. He wasn't withholding. In other words, God, through Jesus Christ, was not the variable in the situation. It was me. It was my unstable thinking. The Bible says that by Jesus' stripes, I was healed. I am not going to receive another thing that the devil is going to throw at me to keep me in bondage to not receive my healing. Just drawing this line in the sand saying, nope, it's going no further than this. That night was a turning point of his healing because even though we still had to mess with the tumor, it was still just as bad as before. It was just kind of like... He didn't, he didn't look at it anymore as that. He, he was seeing himself as healed. It was about two weeks later, and suddenly we're changing, and I have cut out the same length of the paper towels that we've needed to before to wrap this, and suddenly it's just like we're folding it up, and the, it's just like we can cut this much off of the paper towel. We don't need as much to... to wrap it and I said Mike this is getting smaller and I said well of course I said God's healed me it's got to get smaller can't nothing else can happen this might be hard to get a hold of but I just forgot about it you know even though I would deal with it twice a day or more dealing with it you know having that uncomfortable bra you got to adjust and move around just didn't fit right and uh, it's like it was like it was gone you know, I'm, I'm healed. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. By Jesus' stripes, I was healed. That's it. All of Andrew's teachings were already confirming the things that Mike had seen in the Word, but it was like a second witness for him that, yes, this is the way it's, it is. This is what God said, and he, it helped him to stand even more on the healing. I actually, I don't know, somewhere around May, I didn't have to wear the bra anymore. Each time as we're changing it, like Mike this thing is getting smaller and smaller it was just like it was shrinking so it was less and less that we had to deal with until it's a little thing like this and then he can change it himself of course and no longer was wearing the support and it's just like this thing is gone by August it was nothing it was just this little bump a, a scar on my chest here I was made whole by Jesus Christ and this is the only direction my body can go devil you can't have me. I've already been bought. For eight years, Mike Hesch believed and prayed for his healing with no results. In desperation, he finally drew a line in the sand between the Word of God and his own unstable thinking. He chose to believe the Word, that healing had already been provided by God's grace. Andrew's teaching confirmed and encouraged him, and the malignant tumor disappeared in seven months. After his healing, Mike felt strongly that there was more he needed to learn about standing firm on the Word of God. 
He and Caroline sold their home in Tucson and moved to Colorado Springs to attend Karis Bible College. Their journey of grace and freedom has just begun. Stand up. Hallelujah. Hey, have we got stories to tell? I'm going to tell you this, this ministry is rich in stories. And Mike and Carolyn are here in school. In fact, I met Mike and Carolyn just one year ago today. They walked in my office, coming to campus days, told their story. We sent a crew to, to Tucson to catch, capture their story here. Now, I did notice some laughter during the story, all right? <laughs> For those of you at home who may not understand, we saw a few people we recognized, a few doctors who we didn't know had doctorates yet. Uh, there will be a Karis Bible College Academy Award nomination form. And uh, at the end of the year, after you've seen all the healing journeys and all the wonderful, talented actors we have here, uh, you can nominate your favorites. All right? We brought a little Hollywood to Colorado Springs. <laughs> well, what a great job. I, you know, I can't imagine doing something better than this. I have a friend across town who uh, is the president of a film company. And I used to do work there before I knew Andrew. And uh, uh, he called me and he said, I'd love to come work for you. I said, well, you're not going to make the money here that you make there. He said, yeah, but man, what a way to go. Yeah, a few years ago, I got a call from a guy in Hollywood, and uh, he said, listen, he says, I'm, I'm editing the Academy Awards. He says, I've been doing this for three years. And he said, I watch Andrew Womack on my lunch break. He said, I'm being transformed. He said, not only that, he said, my daughter's been healed. Hey, you know what's really cool? I've got all the emotion Andrew lost. <laughs> this is part of the reason why I don't stand behind this desk, all right? I work better in the back room, telling stories on paper and on video. Now, I want you to know, that is Mike and Carolyn's story. Now, they are here, and you did meet them last evening, I believe. But they didn't tell that story. They told it to a camera. The editing and the rest of the work was done by Sean Mitchell, standing here at the edge. Sean, raise your hand. Do you know, do you know how blessed I am? Do you know how blessed I am? God brought Sean here. He was producing sports for ESPN. All right? And he also produced Bob Yandian's ministry for a while. 
And God brought him here. And when he walked in the door, it was just in time to send him to Tucson. And this, this was one of the first stories. He's done several others on the healing journeys, uh, volume three. Um, the guy who called me from Hollywood has been editing Andrew's program now for a couple of years. And he just finished his first story. You'll find it on volume three. It's the Scott story, Audrey Scott, whose heart had not developed at birth. You've got to see that story. Now, uh, in, in our department, uh, television department, we're interfacing with Karis Bible College. So when I teach, and when we began the idea this year that perhaps a third-year media course could be offered to you, uh, we, uh, we decided that we had such incredibly talented people that we would make them available in that third-year media. The way the third-year media school will work... Um, we will have a little brochure out in the hall that you can pick up after today uh, for some more information. This is a preliminary brochure. doesn't have all the fine details, but it has the big ideas of what the school will be, how it will be offered in the third year. Uh, we'll be teaching you uh, in various areas of media, storytelling. We'll teach you the tools and the techniques and how to tell your own stories. I'm convinced everyone here has a story worth telling. Everyone. And if I could sit with you long enough and hear your story, I could find a way to tell it that might bring people to understand what you're doing, who you are, and why you're here. They might want to be engaged with you. Uh, one person took my course here a couple of years ago. She went out, and a couple of students have gone to Nepal. They don't tell their story very well. She took their newsletter. They have a little list of 150 people. They eke out a living in Nepal. She helped them with their letter. Wendy Okamura, are you here? Wendy, stand up. She's a hero. Wendy wrote a little letter. I coached a little bit. I feel as much as it's my letter as it's her letter. Her letter out of that 150 uh, mailing list raised $17,000 in one month. <laughs> Ministry, media, money. The money comes from your heart being touched by the ministry, not by manipulation or any other way of fundraising. All right? You want to be a part of something like that. That's already in your heart. And all we need to do is bring those two ideas together through media. All right? That's what we teach. The third year media school is going to be run by a couple of people I'm very proud of. Autumn and Jeff Nakala standing in the back door. And little Isaac, newborn. All right. Autumn, and, Autumn uh, worked in my department for five years. She had this vision of help, coming alongside other ministries and helping them. She has gone to uh, India and help the Fergusons there. And through a video that they produced last year, husband and wife team now, Jeff is also a graduate of CBC, they uh, increased the bottom line and the support base and energized the support base of that ministry for the CBC school in Chennai. Now we're going to see this happen a thousand times over through the third year media school. I'm telling you, you've only just begun to see what's going to happen through this school. And when we see those who are called to come alongside as a ministry of helps, you know what? 
The other, the other reference in Scripture about helps, do you know what it is? It's found in Paul's shipwreck. Remember the ship being driven across the ocean by the demonic storm? And, and the devil is trying to wipe Paul out? Well, they put something under the ship, cables that went under and bound the timbers of the ship together. They were called helps. I've seen many ministries go out and get in their first storm, and they didn't have the helps they needed. And they came apart. All right, so the ministry of helps may only be a little word in the Bible, but it's a big ministry, and you can have a wonderful, wonderful life of telling the story of God's work in the lives of the people you know in your own life and in the lives of others. What a way to go. I'll see you in the third year.